You guys can open up your Bibles to Ruth. We are in the middle of our series. If this is your first time visiting, welcome. If you haven't been here in a while, welcome back. I am not the pastor. That is the pastor, Steve. And I uh, am the youth pastor. Um, Usually I'm up hanging with these guys, but I made him stay in big kid church this, this, this week during this series. We are in Ruth 2, and I'm just going to read 2 verses 14 through the end of, for the end of 2, all the way through 23, okay? Verse, um, starting in verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, that is Ruth, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also pull out some, uh, some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it and went up into the city. Her, uh, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today was Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out uh, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Hey, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you bless your hearing of your word this morning? Would you bless the preaching of your word this morning? May you... Uh, open up our hearts and minds that we would, we would understand this. Father, we believe that uh, your book is timeless and therefore it's timely for us today. And that this story, though it happened thousands of years ago, is relevant to our lives. May you show us that. May you open up our eyes and hearts and minds so that we could apply it to our lives. We believe that your book is not just a, a book of stories, but of truth that is what we stand on and what we live under. So, Father, uh, I'd ask that uh, you would bless us this morning. And, Father, put your spirit on me as well, that I would speak effectively the message that you put on my heart, that you would control my words and my tone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I don't know if you guys know this. Um, it, is, it is Zach's birthday today. Yeah. 30 years old. Let's clap for Zach, okay? Um, we're going to clap because, uh, we're going to clap because you don't want me to sing. All right. So if you want, you can go sing to him later, but trust me, you do not want me to sing from stage. Let's leave all the singing to Zach. Um, man, it, it, Zach is, th- is 30 years old and I, I have to say, um, I, uh, I, lo- I love Zach and, um, he's leaving in a couple weeks, Zach and Ellie and the kids and, I won't, I won't say too much because I, I probably will start crying. Um, he's just become a really amazing friend to me while he's been here at Northview. 
So Zach, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your ministry partnership. Um, I've got a lot of fond memories with Zach. We've joked around a ton. Um, I think one of one of my favorite memories is, you know, a few years ago, back in 2013, we were both jazzed. Zach and I were really excited because our teams had made it to the Super Bowl, right? You guys remember the Seahawks and the Broncos both made it to the Super Bowl. And uh, you guys remember this, right? Um, so Zach was, Zach was pretty confident that, that the Broncos were just going to roll over the Hawks, and I was pretty confident that God's favor rested on the Hawks. Um, so... Uh, we, uh, so, you know, like any, any good, strong friendship, we made a bet and, uh, we got up in front of the youth group, right? You guys may remember this. We got up in front of the youth group and we bet and whoever the loser was had to shave their head. Well, I mean, we can see that Zach had to shave his head. I don't know if you guys remember this, but, um, this is good, right? <laughs> so Zach, <laughs> so Zach went from being super confident. Some people are like, yeah, that's what my hair looks like every day. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, Steve. Um, <laughs> Zach went from being super confident because he got he had Peyton Manning right and he had uh, and he had the most effective offense in all of the NFL. He went from being super confident to the next day of uh, just not being super happy, not being super confident, and uh, it's crazy, right? How much one day can change things? Pre Super Bowl, super stoked. Post Super Bowl, really sad. And let's let's. Let's not rewrite history here. Let's be honest. If you're a Hawks fan, you know exactly the jubilation of being on the two-yard line and throwing a pass, right? How much one day can change something. I don't know if you guys, uh, we can take that down. Yeah, we don't need to, we don't need to embarrass Zach too much more. But you guys could probably relate to this, right? Like, maybe you've had a day that was just going poorly, Right? Maybe it's the worst day ever. Just things are not going well at all. You spill your coffee in your car, and you, maybe you get a little on a fender bender on the way in, and, and then uh, you, you get to work, and there's no parking spaces because elevated sports is like full for some reason. You have to park down the lower parking lot and walk up. And then everything is just going wrong during the day, right? And then something happens, and then your day completely flips around. Have you ever been in that situation where it's, it's so crazy how one little thing can change your whole outcome? One thing can, can change everything. It's, it's a crazy how much a difference one day can make. Or, or you can go on the flip side too. Day's going really well and then something bad happens and, and it's like, man, this is the worst day ever. It's incredible how one day, how one day can cha- make such a big difference. That's where we're at in the book of Ruth. One day makes all the difference for Ruth and Naomi. One day makes all the difference for Ruth and Naomi. For those of us that maybe are coming in fresh or new, I want to I do a little, a little recap here. We have the, the book of Ruth starts with the family of Naomi and Elimelech. And there's a famine going on in Bethlehem. Bethlehem in the Hebrew means bread or storehouse. So there's a famine at the bread factory. And uh, they, they uh, leave Bethlehem to, to go seek refuge, and, and they go to Moab of all places. Moab is a sinful city. It is nowhere that God wants his people. And yet they go to Moab and, and seek of refuge, and, and, and it, they have their two sons with them, Malon and Kilian, which I looked up, their Hebrew, Hebrew names, mean sickly and dying, okay? It is not, don't name your kids that. Those are not good names to, to prophesy over your kids, okay? Uh, but what ends up happening is, is everybody dies. It's like a Shakespeare play, okay? Everyone dies in the end, 
And uh, we're, we're left with Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And, and Naomi, she hears that the famine is done in, in Bethlehem, so she urges her daughters-in-law, she says, go back to Moab. Go back to Moab, and I'm going to go to Bethlehem, and there's nothing for me there, but I'm probably just going to go and die. So one daughter leaves, and, but Ruth, Ruth stays. And this is where we, we start seeing the picture, this character of Ruth, and, and Ruth commits to, to stay with Naomi. She is so committed to Naomi that she even says, where you die, I will die. And in essence, what, what Ruth has done is she has said, okay, I'm going to leave Moab, this city that was founded on incest and sexual immorality, she said, and, and worshiping of other gods. She said, okay, I'm going to leave this city, and I'm going to follow Naomi to Bethlehem, and I'm going to worship the same God that Naomi worships. In essence, it would be like someone saying, okay, I'm going to leave Sinful L.A. and come up to Mill Creek, Washington. I don't know if you, if you live in L.A., I'm sorry. But no, I mean, just pick, pick, pick any place. I'm going, to, I'm going to come up to Mill Creek, Washington, and I want to go to church with my relatives, and I want to worship the same God that they, go to, that they worship, and I want to go to Northview Community Church because that's where they go. That's, that's essentially what Ruth is doing here. She leaves her town, her city, where there was worship of false gods and false idols and sexual immorality and everything impure. And she follows Naomi. And she begins to live in Bethlehem. So now we have, uh, we have Ruth and Naomi, and they're pretty much left for dead. They have no husband in their lives. They, they cannot work. They don't, they, they're struggling to make ends meet. And Naomi throws her hands up. She says, I'm bitter against God. He's done nothing for me. He has just poured out his wrath on me. I've got nothing to live, by, live for. So Ruth, being the tender-hearted, optimistic Ruth, says, Naomi, I'm going to go glean in the fields. I'm going to go find some food for us because we don't know what we're going to eat tomorrow. We don't know what we're going to eat tomorrow. So she goes out into the fields, and by God's providence, not by accident, but by God's design, she goes into the field of Boaz. And we, we meet Boaz, and he's a kind man, and, and that's where we pick up the story here. She's out gleaning in the fields of uh, Boaz's field, and, and, you know, she catches Boaz's eye. And for some reason, we don't know what, she catches Boaz's eye, and maybe she was good-looking, who knows, who knows what. And, and, uh, and he, he calls her over, and he says, hey, don't go in any other field. Stay in this one. And then when you're thirsty, you can drink the water that my young men pull from the well. And then at mealtime, hey, come and, and, and have some food with us. So this is where we pick up the story. We're right probably at lunchtime. Verse 14, let me read. It says, At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean... Boaz instructed his young men, his young workers, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull some out from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. If you've missed what's going on here, he's basically giving protection to Boaz, or to Ruth. He's he's making sure that she has extra food to take home. This is the first time in the story that we see Boaz for who he is. We see Boaz, that, that he is the hero of this book. He's the hero of, of the story of Ruth. We see um, 
uh, we, we see Boaz uh, as, as the hero. If you read the whole story of Ruth, you see, okay, wow, Boaz is a pretty important character. Okay, he, he comes in as the hero. And, and I want to take time to make sure that we don't miss this, okay? I want to take time to make sure that we don't miss this because um, this book, Ruth, along with the whole Bible, is about Jesus, okay? I want to... Um, uh, Jesus was walking with his disciples um, after he had raised from the dead. And he had, a, he had a, 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 some sort of cloak on or a hood or something. They didn't recognize him. His, his disciples did not recognize him. And he's walking on this road to Emmaus. And, and it says, one of my favorite passages in Scripture in, in Luke 24, 27. You don't need to turn there. But Jesus says this. He, he's, he's talking to his disciples. And they said, are you, are you unaware of what's gone on in this town? And then it says, Luke 24, verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Essentially this. He started in Genesis and went all the way up. And he said, this whole book, this whole book is about me. So when we read Ruth, we should remember that, yeah, Boaz is the hero of the book, but Jesus is the hero of the Bible. That Boaz is the hero of the book, but Jesus is the hero of the Bible. So I want to have some question and response time with you guys. Can we do that? Are, you, are we awake enough for that? High schoolers, I think you guys are used to this. Who, who's, who's the hero of the Bible? Jesus. Okay, see, you get that? I'm going to ask you guys, who's the hero of the Bible? Jesus. Come on, like you mean it, people. This is good news. This is when we read all of Scripture, anywhere in Scripture, we know that it is about Jesus Christ. Yeah, Boaz is, he might be the hero of this book, but Jesus is the hero of the Bible. So who's the hero of the Bible? Jesus. All right. Now we're, now we're getting somewhere, right? Jesus is the hero of the Bible. This whole book, this whole book is about him. From Genesis to Revelation, everything points back to Jesus. And I, 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 I want to, I, I kind of share something. I've kind of taken a little bit of offense to some of the studies out there on Ruth. And, and I've, I've been studying Ruth a bunch, looking at different commentaries, different things online, and and you know it's it's good, but I feel like sometimes we can kind of miss the point of the book. We can miss the point of the story. We can kind of th- read the story and do these studies and think, oh yeah, Ruth is about it's about this young woman who waited for her Boaz, and this this knight in shining armor came and scooped her up, and and you. You can wait for your Boaz too, <laughs> and that's good. Uh, that's good. Um, you know, that that's, that is a aspect of the story. But you know, there's some pretty interesting and sketchy things that go on in the story. Uh, I left that to, for Steve next week. But there's some there's some interesting things that go on in the story, and and ultimately, yeah, that's a part of the story. But ultimately, the story is not about this this woman who falls in love with this man and, and this nice little romance. No, the, the, the story is about so much, something so much bigger than that. The story is about Jesus. See, we read here and, and we see the, the book of Ruth is, is about a woman who is a foreigner who had no right to any inheritance being brought in by the kindness of one man. We see, uh, we see in the book of Ruth the story of, of a woman who was dirty, both spiritually because of her past in Moab 
and also physically, literally on the ground, picking up grains. And, and, and we see her being picked up and cleaned off and set in a place of goodness because of the kindness of one man. We see in, in the story of Ruth, the story of, of a woman and, and her mother-in-law who are absolutely hopeless, who have no means of survival, who are given all the opportunity at survival because of the kindness of one man. We see in the story of Ruth, someone who is at their very end, who didn't know what was going to happen in their life, who was completely hopeless, who was, giving, who was given immense hope because of the kindness of one man. You see where I'm getting at? The, the book of Ruth isn't about Ruth. It's about Jesus. It's about how we are Ruth. We are, we, uh, we are stuck in the same position that Ruth is in. That we are hopeless. That we are dirty. That we are spiritually unfit to come before God. That we have no means of survival. And because of the kindness of one man, Jesus Christ, he gives us means of survival and he redeems us. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Let's not miss the point. That, yeah, Boaz might be the hero of the book, but who's the hero of the Bible? Jesus. That's right. So I want you guys, when you, when you read Ruth, and maybe, you're, maybe you're, you're, you go home and, and you, you read along or you, or you read through the book that we're studying, I want you to try to pick out where, where's Jesus in here? How is this pointing you back to Jesus Christ? Because I'm convinced the whole Bible is about him. The whole Bible is about him. But, but you know what we can learn here? We can learn uh, a lot from, from Boaz. Because Boaz is a model. Boaz is a model of a model. He points to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true and better Boaz. That as, as, as Boaz redeemed Ruth, so Jesus redeems us. But so we can learn a lot from Boaz because Boaz points to Jesus, okay? He's a model of a model. He's a model of Jesus Christ. And, and we, see, I, I, we see a ton in here about Boaz. First, we, we see that, that Ruth and Naomi were in a tough position. They were in, they were in tough times, right? And, and uh, we see Jesus quoting this to his disciples at the end of his life, near the end of his life. Uh, John 16, 33. John 16, 33. Uh, Jesus is, is talking to his disciples and he said, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. These are some of the last words that Jesus says. How many of us know that people's last words are often their most important words? You don't say words at the end of your life that are meaningless. These are some of the last conversations Jesus is having with his disciples. And he says that in this world you will have trouble, you have tribulation, things will not go your way, but take heart in me because I have overcome the world. We see Boaz overcoming the situation that Ruth and Naomi are in. As, as, uh, as Jesus overcame the world, Boaz helps Ruth and Naomi overcome their situation. So we can learn a lot from Boaz who... From scripture, what Scripture tells us is a good man. He's a good single man, which is okay because I don't know if you guys realize this, that uh, we spend a lot of time on Sunday morning worshiping a single man, okay? Jesus wasn't married. He was a hard-working single man, a lot, uh, like, like Boaz. We see Boaz, who um, he is 
uh, a hard worker. And from what I, what I gain from the text when I read this, I, I see, man, I think, I think Boaz enjoyed work. And it's a good thing to enjoy work. We see Boaz, he goes out into the fields and he's actually talking with his workers. That's cool. He's, he's, not, he's not someone that employs people and then goes away and lets them work. He's out in the fields working with them. He enjoys work. We see later that he spends all night threshing his own grain because he enjoyed work. So we got a good man who enjoys work. He's probably, well, in indications he's wealthy. He has a field with multiple employees. So he's wealthy. He's done well for himself, which means he's also probably pretty shrewd and wise with his money. That's, a, that's okay. It's okay to, to, uh, to, to be wealthy and make good investments. We see that um, uh, uh, we, we see that he's probably pretty wise and, and well-known in the city because there was a famine in Bethlehem and he survived it. So he survived this famine somehow and, and he has, now he's employing other workers. And then from the story, we, we see that he's single. We don't know why he's single, but he's single. And I would, I would contest that, that Boaz is a model for us today. See, there is a problem in the church, I think. And I don't, I don't have the answer. But there's a problem in the church because a lot of young men today are not like Boaz. A lot of single guys today aren't necessarily like Boaz. See, I don't get the picture that Boaz was the kind of guy to work just a, a minimal amount so he could have just enough money to buy his video games and, and be at home for the rest of the time playing video games. I don't, I don't get that Boaz was the kind of guy who tried to get out of responsibility and to have as much fun as he could. I, I picture Boaz as the kind of guy that sought after work and knew that, okay, working is good. God gave me work for a reason. You know, I, I, I think that we can learn a lot from Boaz. You know, we have an issue in the church, and um, I, it, it kind of hurts my heart because I'm a youth pastor, and we see young people not coming to church. Like, I, I, I want you guys to stay in church. And we, what happens, what we see is a depletion of young, single people in the church. And this is not a scientific study, but this is just my observation. I think there's less single women in the church because there's less single men. You know, I think that, that young men are realizing, yeah, or, or thinking that, yeah, I, I, I like more what the world has to offer than what church has to offer. How crazy is that? We think that the world has to offer things better than Jesus Christ, who offers salvation, and the world offers death. You know, I would, I would love to see the church full of young men and full of young women and young men who are, who are uh, stepping up and, and desiring to take on responsibility, desiring to take on work. You know, and Northview's blessed us. I'm sorry, God has blessed Northview a ton. We're, we're blessed because our, our, we got a lot of babies here. We got a lot of little kids. That's good. That's a blessing from God. Um, and, you know, young men should be serving in those, in those areas, in, in the children's department and whatnot. And, you know, I think that if I, were, if I were to counsel a young man, I would say, hey, you know, if you want to meet a girl, you go and serve in the nursery and you start holding the baby because a girl will walk by. And there's nothing, nothing sexier than a guy holding the baby, right? So, and, you know, she might stop in and be like, oh, you're holding the baby. Yeah, I could see this happening, right? So if you have, if you, if you, if you have a, a, if you know of a young single man in your life, invite him to church. Because Jesus offers so, something so much better 
so much better than the world. Guys, not yet, okay? Wait till you're done with high school. Don't date when you're in high school. <laughs> See, Boaz is a model for us today. No indication that he was into the things that guys are into today. Fancy cars, shacking up with women, money, flaunting his wealth. I, 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 don't, I don't see this in, in scripture, but I would guess he's probably not the kind of guy who sits at home and binge watches a bunch of stuff on Netflix. I'm just, that's just a guess, okay? We can learn a lot from Boaz. And some of the coolest things we learn here is, is in, in this passage, 14 through 16. He's sitting with Ruth. And it says here, right, right here in verse 16, that she rose... Sorry, 14, that, she, that, uh, that she, she rose to glean. She left Boaz. So they're, they're, eating, they're eating lunch, and, and she rose again to go to the field. And then Boaz instructs his young men. These are very, this is very key. This is very important. He instructs his young men. He says, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, verse 16, Also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it, to her, leave it for her to glean. And then he says, do not rebuke her. There's a pattern here. There's a pattern here of, of what Boaz says. He instructs his young men, his, his workers, and then he gives them a warning or he gives them further instruction. He, he, and then he says, okay, when, when, when she's out there gleaning, let her glean even from among the sheaves. That would be, they, they, would, they would bundle up and they'd tie it together and, and you could go and even glean from there of the stuff that was already picked. And they said, and then, and then take some out, take some out of the bundles and throw it on the ground for her so that make sure that she has enough food. Make sure that she has enough food. And then, so do you see that? We have instruction and instruction. And right in between, they're right sandwiched in there are these two warnings. He says, do not reproach her and do not rebuke her. These are important words. What these words mean literally in the, in the original language is, Reproach meant do not humiliate. Do not humiliate her. Do not shame her. You understand what's going on here? Boaz sees a Moabite woman who probably stuck out like a sore thumb. Everyone probably knew where she was from. They're probably, could you imagine the gossip that was going around the city? Oh yeah, Ruth, yeah, she's from Moab. You know what she's probably done in her past? Do you know what Moabite women are like? She's probably, oh man, she's probably done things unthinkable. You know, there's probably this gossip mill that's going around and, and Ruth, you know, you always know kind of when you've been talked about behind your back. Ruth is probably feeling this. So what Boaz does, he says, okay, make sure you leave some grain for her on the ground and do not shame her. I know that everybody else in the fields are, are saying that, but do not shame her. I, I, wanna, I want to watch out for her physical needs, give her food, and I want to make sure that she is emotionally well. And then, and then he says, do not rebuke her. Which that in the original language meant no harsh words, no insults. A rebuke was, was more than just saying no. A rebuke was, was harsh words or insults to somebody. So what, what Boaz is saying is, I care so much about her that I want her taken care of physically with food and I want her taken care of emotionally in her heart. Some of you guys need to hear that this morning. That God cares, God cares about your physical needs. He cares about your emotional needs too. 
God wants to protect you emotionally. God wants to protect your heart. Like Boaz, he says, okay, I know that everybody else in the field are probably, she's, everyone knows that she's from Moab. Everyone knows that she's talking, they're talking dirty about her. My workers, you, let me, do not let me catch you saying nasty things about her. Do not shame her and do not heap insults at her. We live in a society that, that is so quick to throw insults, don't we? And so quick to throw condemnation. I mean, Facebook is driving me nuts. I, I, I mean, uh, 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 Trump gets inaugurated in and everybody lost their minds, right? It's like, there's no, I, I, I logged on Facebook last night. I'm like, man, there's no kind words here. And then someone posted a picture of a puppy. And I'm like, oh, that's good. <laughs> but, right? We're so quick. We're so quick to, uh, to, to heap insults on people or, or heap condemnation on people. And yet, our words of encouragement and affirmation are few and far between. But that also means that they're more treasured and they mean more. I would encourage you, if you're a parent, you have kids, speak words of life into them. Speak words of life over them. We have a lot of, a lot of kids, middle school, high school, that are, that are hurting because of the words that have been said to them. The lies that they believe from peers, from other people around them, from the media. Let's be like Boaz and speak words of affirmation over them. I, uh, I love this observation that it says that Ruth got up to go glean. She went back to the fields and Boaz is sitting there with his, uh, with his workers. So Ruth isn't nearby. She's back out in the field and, and then that's when that's when Boaz says to his workers, hey, leave some extra grain for her and do not shame her or rebuke her. She, did not, she was not aware of this blessing. You get that? She's gone. She, she, she's not aware. She never heard Boaz say these things. This is encouragement to us because you may be on the verge of a blessing from God. And if, Boaz left her, or if Ruth left Boaz's field, she would never have received that blessing from Boaz. I don't know where you are with God. I don't know what blessings God has for you. But I know the encouragement is stay near God. Stay near to God. Because you might be on the verge of a blessing that you never heard, you never heard him say. But he might be telling other people to bless you. He might be telling cir- these circumstances to bless you. And if we leave, if we walk away from God, we might miss out on this blessing. Ruth didn't know that it was coming. And her blessing is, in, in seven, verse 17, a, a epha a barley. That's a weird Old Testament word. Verse 17, she said, it says that she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned. It was about an epha a barley. And then she takes it to, she takes it to uh, Naomi, and, um, and, and Naomi is, is, is shocked. What, what, what this is, the, the, an epha a barley, it was an amount. It was essentially about a week, or almost two weeks worth of food for two people. So what happens, here get the scene here. Ruth leaves with nothing. She comes back in one day with more food than they, can, than they need for a week. She leaves with nothing and she comes back with, with this blessing and suddenly we, we didn't know what we were going to eat tonight. And suddenly we have enough food for almost two weeks. 
that's a huge blessing from God, right? And, and it just, for me, it just shows that I mean, God's blessings come in all sorts of different ways. We see Naomi completely flip around. She was bitter towards God. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because that means bitter, because I'm angry at God. And then we see here, as we, as we keep reading, in verse 20, she says, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So suddenly Naomi's whole disposition changes. She goes from bitter and angry to blessing God. You know, sometimes God's blessing comes in, in, in ways that we don't imagine. And, and you know, sometimes it might be as simple as food. You know, maybe you're like me and you get, if you haven't eaten for a while, you get not, you get hangry, you know. Hunger mixed with anger is not a good thing. And maybe that's where Naomi was. Maybe it's like, boom, food. And Naomi's like, oh, I'm happy again, right? I don't know. Naomi, you're not acting like yourself. Eat a Snickers. I don't know what was going on, okay? (laughs) But we see that Naomi's whole countenance changes. She's flipped upside down. And where she was at the beginning of the day cursing God, at the end of the day, she's blessing God. Naomi had hope. There is a, a spark of hope in a hopeless situation. That there is a spark of hope in a hopeless situation. And what, what we can see here is that God brings hope to hopeless situations. That God brings hope to hopeless situations. I don't know where you're at. If you feel hopeless, if you feel stuck, know that God wants to bring hope into that hopeless situation. We see it all through Scripture. God doesn't want to leave you there. God wants to give you hope. And hope can change a lot of things. I I think that Christians should be the most hopeful people. Right? Christians should be the most hopeful of people. And yet oftentimes we we walk around really discouraged, don't we? See the difference between discouragement and, and hope? Discouragement will say, this will probably get worse. Hope says, I wonder what the possibilities are. I wonder what this situation could turn into. Do you have a hopeful mindset or are you discouraged? God is a God of hope. God wants us to look at situations, however bleak and dangerous and scary and and, and fearful they are, He wants us to look at these situations and say, I wonder what this could turn into because I've got God on my side. I wonder how much glory God can get from this situation. So we, unfortunately, I feel like we walk around a little bit discouraged, or we walk around with hope in the completely wrong things. Christians, we should not walk around with hope in institutions and jobs because those are ultimately man-made and will crumble. We should not walk around with, with hope in family or friends because on a long enough timeline, every person will fail you. We should not walk around with hope in the government because God says that he controls that. He says that, that, that rulers will come and go and ultimately our hope is not in who's ruling but in God who's in complete control. We don't need to freak out at circumstances because we have hope that God has it in his hands. I love Naomi, this picture of hope. 
suddenly, we, or the, this picture where, where, where her complete countenance changes, her complete demeanor changes because of one thing, because of one day. And suddenly, she goes, there's hope, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Things could change, things might be different. Naomi goes from being bitter to blessing. She goes from, from doubting her future to delighting in God. She goes from being empty. She says, I've got nothing. God has taken everything away from me. To being energized and excited about her life. All because of one thing. She realizes, she realizes that Boaz is a close redeemer. Turn to your neighbor and say, redeemer. It's a big word. It's a good word, okay? It's an important word in this book. Some of your translations might say kinsman redeemer. Some of your translations might say guardian redeemer. Some of my translations might say family redeemer. What this, what this word means is that, there was, uh, that Boaz was a, a close or a, a relative of uh, Naomi and Elimelech. And he had the opportunity to redeem them. And this was a law instituted by God uh, we'll, we'll get more into this later, but uh, a law instituted by God for the safekeeping of, of people. So that if you lost everything, you still had a chance to gain it back. You still had a chance to gain proper standing again. So a redeemer, a family redeemer in, in your line, a cousin or a relative, could uh, avenge the death of, of someone in your family. Um, a redeemer could, if, if someone was too poor and they had to sell off all their land, a redeemer could come and buy that land back and keep it in the family line. Okay, a, a redeemer could, if if uh, families fell on hard times, like Naomi and her and people died, a redeemer could buy back the land and them and put them back into proper standing. This was a safeguard that God put in place in His law, so that people could get out of tough situations. Okay, so what Naomi sees is, wow, there's an opportunity here. We could be redeemed. We could be set back up. We could be put back up in place. We could have land again. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There, there's an opportunity at redemption. The thing is, if you redeem a family from a, dead, um, uh, from a dead husband, you also get the wife. So Boaz would have to take Ruth in. I want to end on this. We're going to have the band come back up. Naomi's total countenance changed very quickly because she saw the opportunity, the possibility of being redeemed. Everything changed for her when she, uh, when she saw, wow, there could be a chance at redemption here. We, we could get out of this hopeless situation. They weren't redeemed yet, but she was hopeful. They hadn't, they hadn't uh, been... Out of the, they're not out of their tough situation yet, but she's hopeful. So my question for you is this, how much more should we as believers and followers of Jesus Christ be hopeful? If you know Jesus Christ today, you should be the most hopeful person because Jesus, there's not, Jesus doesn't offer you a chance at redemption. He offers you redemption. Past tense, done, finished. 
We should be hopeful because Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer this prescription and if you follow these steps, then you can have redemption. Jesus offers his redemption paid in full for you. We should be hopeful because we know the end of the story. We know how it ends. We know where we're going. And I see too many of us walking around thinking, oh man, okay, I've messed up today. I, I've, I, I haven't done what I should, should do. Man, I'm not, probably not tithing as much. I mean, I, I yelled at this person. Man, I keep messing up. Man, I need to come to church and, and then maybe I get on the right track. I'll have maybe I, I have three Bible studies this week instead of one. Okay, gosh, I've got to get back on track and I've got to work really hard because... And if, and if I do, then I can approach God again, and then maybe he'll still keep me, keep me in. And no, that's not, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says when he was on the cross and his, his hands were nailed to that cross, he yelled out, it is finished. That means your sin is paid for. You just need to live in that freedom. You need to live in that knowledge, that hope that Jesus has paid for your sin. And there's nothing you can do to separate. Jesus says there, there, there is who God has given me in, in my hands. I will not lose. I will hold on. That means Jesus is holding on to you. Isn't that good news? We should be the most hopeful people because we know the end of the story. Don't walk around downtrodden thinking, okay, I messed up again and I only have three more mess ups before I'm kicked out of the kingdom. That's not how Jesus operates. Jesus wants wants you to know I am holding you. You have hope in me. And there's nothing, if you know me, if if you completely, truly surrendered your life to me, there's nothing that can take that away. Just be with me. Just walk with me. Know that you're going to fall. You're going to stumble. You're going to sin. But it's nothing that he doesn't expect. It's nothing that he hasn't seen. And that's exactly why he died for you. So that we could live in that freedom. Naomi, she was hopeful because of the opportunity, the the chance, that redemption. He, He might redeem us. We have everlasting hope because we know that Jesus has redeemed us. Let's stand. Father, I would pray, pray over Northview, pray over these people here. Father, if there's someone here that does not know you, if there's someone here that that, that, that redemption speak, that, that, that idea of being living in freedom is foreign to them, and they do not know you, Father, I would ask that you would speak to their hearts. Father, I would ask that they would open up their hearts and minds to you. Jesus, that you, would, that you would make your voice known to them, that you are calling them back, the sweet truth calling back, saying, come back to me because I offer freedom, I offer payment for sins. Jesus, may we be the most hopeful people. May we, may we walk in hope because we know what you've done. Naomi had hope because She thought she might be redeemed. We can have everlasting hope because we know that you have redeemed us. Help us to live in that freedom, that freedom alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.